Hello and welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? That's good to hear. I'm doing okay. It's morning time now. Yeah, it's, it's brighter than the last time we recorded. Last time it was pitch black. Yeah. Kids nighttime. are running around the house today. They're at school. and It's it's nice and quiet it's for now. Quiet. Um, welcome back to the Pudding Pod. I came up with that name myself. How do you like it? It's interesting. Thank you. As always, I'm your host, Courtney, and this is my lovely co-host, Patrick. Hello, everybody. Hope everyone's doing good, and thank you guys, those of you who have listened to our first episode, thanks for y'all's feedback and support. It means a lot. It makes me want to do a really, really good job and put out good stuff for you guys, so thank you. Um, okay, you want to just hop right into it? Let's do it. You don't have a clicky pin anywhere near I you? have a clicky pin, but I'm not clicking it. Okay, last episode, <laughs> you clicked it the first few minutes. <laughs> you just scroll past it and you're fine. Okay, so last episode, our pilot episode, if you will, we covered the gorilla killer, Earl Leonard Nelson, and that was a fun little old-timey tale, right? Did you like it, Pat? I did like it. It was brutal, right? It was, it was very messy. It was definitely very messy. Today's not going to be much better, unfortunately. We Can't went. Be much worse, so. <laughs> we went into uh, Earl's childhood first, and then we hopped into his dark crimes. But today we're going to switch it up a little. I'm feeling spicy. Um, I'm going to just hop right into the meat and potatoes of this guy we're talking about today, and go into some detail about a disgusting and brutal crime that he committed. Because like let's, fun. yeah. It is fun because let's be real, that's what we're all here for, the gory details. As usual, Patrick has no idea who we will be talking about. Nope. I'm willing to bet he has never heard of this guy. I can probably guarantee it, honestly. <laughs> for some reason, most people have never heard of this dude, so you're not alone. Or if you have heard of him, you don't know the full extent of his criminal career. Um, but by the end of this episode, it's going to blow your mind how this guy isn't more of a mainstream name like Ted Bundy or BTK or someone like that. Because he is beyond interesting. Okay. I'm intrigued. He's very intriguing. So I'm going to stop rambling and let's just hop right into it, okay? You ready? I'm ready. So, Essex, Vermont. 50-year-old Bill Courier and his wife Lorraine, who is 55 were kind, quiet people that were self-described homebodies, which we can much identify with. They lived in a cute, modest ranch-style home in Essex, Vermont, where they were well-liked by their neighbors. And Lorraine was well-known for her cooking skills, especially her French meat pies, which she loved to give away to friends and family on holidays. Do you know what a French meat pie is? I have no idea what a French meat pie is. I don't either. Okay. I was waiting for an explanation, but But it sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing. So Bill was an animal care technician at the University of Vermont, and Lorraine worked at Fletcher Allen Healthcare. U.S. Attorney Tristram I hope I'm saying this right, Tristram Coffin would later be quoted as saying of the couple, by all accounts, they were friendly, peaceful, good people who encountered a force of pure evil acting at random. The evil he was referring to is serial killer Israel Keys. Yeah, never heard of him. Doesn't ring a bell? No. Okay. So, this is a doozy. In June of 2011, the couple was targeted by Keys, not because he had been stalking them. He never stalked his victims. Not because he even knew them at all, but simply because their home fit his criteria, 
which was having an attached garage and there being no sign of any children living there. He didn't want to mess with kids. Oh, at least he's got that going for him. Yeah. He's a stand-up guy. Yeah, he's a great human being. He would later say he didn't want to mess with kids. So. Hey, at least he, he's got some standards of rules. He has a like moral this. code. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Keyes first headed to Burlington, Vermont, where, get this, he had one of his many kill kits buried. Kill kits, okay. All across the U.S. he has kill kits buried, which consisted, a kill kit has in it uh, zip ties, duct tape, or his did, guns, ammo, silencers, and Drano. Random, right? I had to Google why in the world he had Drano in his kill kit, but then I found out that um, it acts as Lyme does and aids in decomposition. Okay, that makes sense. And by the way, if the FBI is ever looks at me, my history, my Google history... You're screwed. Yeah, I'm absolutely screwed. Yeah, we've said that before. <laughs> we, we know that. <laughs> so, kill kit in hand, he approached the courier's home around midnight. He broke into the attached garage where he was able to kick in the kitchen door. He went right to the couple's bedroom, because the house was small, where he found them just waking up from all the commotion. I'm sure they were terrified to see a tall, strange man in their room wearing a headlamp. Think about how creepy that is, waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a guy in your bedroom pitch black with a headlamp. Oh my gosh. Definitely not how you want to wake up. (laughs) It gets worse. (laughs) Um... At gunpoint, the couriers were forced to hand over both of their cell phones as well as the keys to their car. They were loaded into their own vehicle and driven to an abandoned farmhouse nearby that Keys had earlier scouted out. So this part really pissed me off. So Israel, he has um, Lorraine in the front seat tied up and in the back seat he has Bill. And there was something on Bill's person, I don't know if it was a tattoo or a piece of jewelry, that um, indicated to Keyes that Bill had been in the same branch of the military as he had been. And he actually was asking him about it, like he wanted to swap war stories or something. This made me mad because I'm sure that Bill and Lorraine thought at that moment that he was, they'd be able to like you know humanize themselves. And give him and his wife a chance. But yeah, I'm guessing no. Yeah, no. But the sick part is that Israel had absolutely no intention of letting them live. He obviously liked to toy with people. He's a sicko. Once they arrived, Lorraine was left behind in the car, tied up again in the front seat, while Bill was dragged inside the farmhouse down to the basement. Uh, he was then placed on a bar stool and left there for just the time being. Keyes went back outside and found that Lorraine had escaped from the car and was making a run towards the main road. She was obviously a fighter, but unfortunately, Keyes caught up to her and tackled her from behind. She was dragged inside the farmhouse and then tied up in a bedroom on top of an old dirty mattress that was lying on the floor. Remember, this farmhouse has just been vacant for years. Oh, yeah. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. In a later confession by Keyes, it was revealed that Lorraine could hear Bill screaming from the basement, where is my wife, over and over and over, which is just... Horrible. Awful. This is straight out of a horror film, farmhouse and all. This monster returned to the basement and found that Bill was partially free. He had partially freed himself from his bindings. Keys would later be quoted as saying, that pissed me off because there is a very specific way I want things done 
and I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. OCD serial killer. That's what I'm talking about. He's a pompous asshat is what he is. He then struck Bill with a shovel because he had lost it by then. He struck Bill with a shovel repeatedly before shooting him multiple times. No, he didn't just lose it. He never had it to begin with, I don't think. Okay, trigger warning here. This one gets rough. So after killing Bill, remember Lorraine's tied up on the gross mattress. He went to the bedroom. He pulled out a knife and used it to cut off all of Lorraine's clothes before raping her twice, unfortunately. He then strangled her, but not to kill her, just long enough for her to lose consciousness, and then he would wake her up. Jeez. Yeah, so this guy absolutely terrorized his victims, and he enjoyed it. Yeah, sounds like it. As if that isn't cruel and brutal enough, Israel Keys then brought Lorraine down to the basement, where her husband lay beaten and shot to death. As she was taking in the sight of her dead husband, you can imagine, probably screaming in sheer terror, right? He strangled her with a rope from behind, finally killing her. So his last cruel act was to show a beaten and raped Lorraine, her beaten and dead husband. Someone's sick dude. Yep, he is. So when Keyes was later interviewed, he had talked about uh, walking Lorraine down to the basement. And um, when he strangled her to death, he laughed and said, yeah, she was out of it, man. He thought it was hilarious. I uh, yeah, I can't. I got no words. Yeah, there's no words for people like that. So Keys covered the bodies with Drano and stuffed them in a corner. He piled a bunch of trash and debris on top of them and left the building. Then he took the courier's vehicle to a parking lot nearby where his rental car was parked, and simply left it there and went on about with his life without any suspicion being cast on him at all. And it most likely would have remained that way if he wouldn't have confessed. What pisses me off too, we will later get into the Keys confession, is Keys is so smug, he laughs a lot during his interviews. He actually said, they never expected me. Well, of course they didn't expect you. Nobody's expecting a guy with a headlamp to walk in and drag him to an abandoned farmhouse while they're sleeping. He's just so pompous. And I really, I have no idea how these guys that interview him don't just beat the absolute crap out of them in the middle of these interviews. Well, probably because they don't want to go to jail themselves. No, I know. And they have to keep them talking, right? So he told investigators later that, you know, where the courier's bodies were. But their bodies to this day have never been found. That's crazy. I mean, you would think that they would find bones or some remains, but that farmhouse was completely ripped to shreds the foundation and land excavated and they still found nothing so there was no physical evidence tying keys to this murder at all so why do you think he confessed to a murder that they didn't even know he committed well he wants the notoriety no so who is israel keys keys was born in utah on january 7th 1978 so he's not much older than us nope he's a capricorn if you care yeah, I mean, that just totally tells me right there what kind of serial kid. I have no idea. He's the planner. He's kind of anal. I have no idea what the astrology stuff is. If someone's yeah. out there listening no, I'm into the astrology you stuff. I'm filling you in. He's a planner. He's an- he- he's very much a Capricorn. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so his parents were Heidi and John Jeffrey Keys. They must have been super bored because Israel was one of ten siblings. That's a lot of kids. We have four. Imagine ten. Oh, no, I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> So up until Israel was a toddler, the Keyes family belonged to the Church of Latter-day Saints, so they were Mormon. But when Heidi and John relocated the whole family to Colville, Washington, 
they decided to join a Christian fundamentalist church. Of course they did. I don't really know what that is, though. I kind of, there wasn't a lot of information on what a Christian fundamentalist church is. But regardless, they decided to leave behind their Mormon faith. I do know that Israel and his family lived very much off the grid everywhere they were. Uh, They did without electricity, heat, and they hunted for their food. Yeah, okay. I mean, hey, some people like that. Yep, they did. Eventually, the family would move to Maupin, Oregon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. In the late 90s. Then they would settle there near an Amish, or then they would settle uh, near an Amish community in Maine. So all of the Keys children were very well versed on guns since they all grew up hunting. Of course. Yep. Israel especially loved guns, and his guns were his prized possessions all the way into adulthood, which in and of itself does not make you a serial killer. <laughs> I'm just, it's just a fact. I'm no, we live in on. Texas. I mean, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> He loved guns so much that as a kid, he started breaking into neighbors' homes and stealing them. He probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's not... That's, yeah. yeah, that's not normal. But Israel would later say of himself, I pursue anything with a heartbeat. I've known since I was 14 that there were things that I thought were normal and that were okay that nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay. Also, so as a teenager... Uh, Keyes had declared to his family that he, as a young teenager too, I think it was around 14, uh, that he no longer shared their faith, that he was an atheist. Um, as a result, his father his father completely cut ties with him, but he did remain close to his mom and his siblings. Always, those stories always throw me off. Like, yeah, Dad, I don't believe in what you believe in anymore. Ugh. You are no longer my son. Like, how do you cut someone off just doing that like that? Like, good. But his mom didn't. They were they remained really close. In ni- <laughs> this is crazy. In 1998, Keys joined the army. So I was wondering because there's a lot of these killers that I've studied that have joined. Like the one last week, even back in 1920s, last week that we did Earl Nelson. He was in the army and the navy. Mm-hmm. Why do so many of these guys join a branch of the military? Cool. What, I, I'm guessing, you know, one, they haven't committed all their crimes yet, so obviously yeah. they can join. Two, they either have this fascination with guns, and or they want to learn about those kind of things, or there's a lot of people that join the military that a lot of these guys at their age group, they just don't fit somewhere, right? So yeah. You don't fit the typical mode of, I'm going to college, or I'm just going to be a tradesman, you have no idea what you want to do with your life, so the military is just, it's this like, yeah, that's true. transitional lifestyle to, to kind of transition you into something else or find your way maybe or maybe they just want to learn how to use guns better i don't know you know jeffrey Dahmer was even in i think it was the navy i can't remember he, he even joined i think it has to do with a lot of these guys because you know ted bundy was never in the military but he had more of a stable childhood i think with unstable childhood these guys are looking for it's more of a transient lifestyle they're trying to yeah they're looking for a little bit of structure and they're and lost. That they never had, yeah. yeah. They're lost somewhere in life, and the military is always a good place for 18, 19 year olds that are kind of lost. Okay, I digress, but I just think it's so interesting that a lot of them join military branches. Uh, so in 1998, Keyes joined the army, and he did really well as a soldier. Uh, you're going to see he annoyingly does well at everything he pursues. Everything. <laughs> he spent some time in Egypt, Fort Hood in Texas and Fort Lewis in Washington. I love how the article I was reading said he spent time in Egypt, Fort Hood, and Fort Lewis. Like they're they're close cities. Egypt is right up the road from Fort Hood. Oh yeah. Okay, just kidding. Uh, He was honorably discharged in July of 2001. 
He'd never gotten any trouble while he was in the Army. He did have a DUI, but nothing major. Uh, then he went on to live on the Maka uh, Indian Reservation, where he would eventually meet the mother of his child, a woman only known as Tammy. Tammy, uh, she referred to him as Is, by the way. That's really random that he would get out of the Army and move to an Indian Reservation. Yeah, he liked it there. And it's just, it's just, it's not, it, he didn't grow up Mm-mm. with that kind of he background. He didn't grow up so with that kind of background. But Tammy didn't... was part of, maybe he did it for her, because her mom lived there, maybe. I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, maybe he met her there, I don't know. So, Tammy and Israel had their daughter roughly 2001. There's not a lot about their little girl, so I'm not going to name her, sure. because I don't know if she wants to be named. Uh, the relationship began to suffer because... Tammy struggled with an opioid addiction, unfortunately. They separated, and during that time, Keyes met um, another woman, a nurse practitioner, who, by the way, was 41, so a lot older than Keyes. Um, she was off, the nurse practitioner was offered a job in Anchorage, Alaska. So Israel, his new girlfriend, and his daughter all moved to Anchorage in March of 2007. By all accounts, Israel was said to be an absolutely great father. He was attentive and took great pride in being a dad. It's so odd. But one thing is clear about Israel, as you will see, he cared about his kid and her opinion of him, just not enough to stop being a serial killer. (laughs) You'll see what I mean. Okay, so we're in Alaska now. It's 2007. Time passes in Anchorage, Alaska, and Israel was well-known and well-liked. He even owned his own construction company called Keys Construction. He was dependable, and no one even, going back, no one ever said, you know, I thought he was weird, I thought he was strange. They said that about everybody, Yeah. Like, literally every killer or every serial killer, you give that guy down the block. He was so normal. Doing the, the, oh, he had a great, he had a wife and kids. Yeah. They all do that. They all. He even went to his daughter's school PTA meetings. (laughs) I don't even do that. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? Like, hey, you know, you know Steve from the PTA. Yeah, he turned out to be murdered two hundred people. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the next the next point I was going to get to, he went to parent teacher conferences. Can you imagine being that teacher? Oh my goodness! Years from now, oh my god. Your okay. daughter passes, sir. Your daughter gets an A. <laughs> she got an A. So the courier murders we spoke about a few minutes ago happened four years after his move to Alaska, and remember they took place all the way in Vermont, right? Yeah. Okay. So, he had quite the perfect plan for a serial killer, in my opinion. You fly to the lower 48, you rent a car, you pick up a pre-buried kill kit that he had stashed all over the U.S., several, sometimes years earlier, that he had stashed years earlier. He commits homicide, he flies back home, he's just so planned, he's... I just can't get over it, especially the kill kits that he had buried sometimes two years in advance, and he remembers where they are, and he goes and gets them. That blows my mind. Mm -hmm. It shows a huge amount of planning and control. He's not an impulsive guy at all. A little less than a year after his trip to Vermont to terrorize and slaughter the couriers, uh, Keyes was ready to commit his next crime, which somehow would be even more violent and disturbing. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? So now we're going to talk about 18-year-old Samantha Koenig. Uh, Samantha and her boyfriend lived with her father, Corey Koenig, and they were all super close. They all lived in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, same town as Keys. By all accounts, Samantha was a sweet, outgoing, fun-loving girl. She was absolutely beautiful. I posted a picture of her on her Facebook, and 
I'll post one on our Instagram account and I'll give the Instagram handle at the end of this episode. She had just taken a job at a mobile coffee stand, a lot like a food truck, but so it was like a it's mobile a Starbucks. Yeah, it's a coffee food truck. Mm-hmm. It was called the Common Grounds. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Because of its location, it was kind of out there. It was open later than the other coffee stands in the area, which is exactly why it was scoped out by Keys. Side note, this is sad. Samantha's father hated his daughter working at this coffee stand. He didn't like her being alone and closing up at night by herself. And I totally feel him on that one. I'd be the same. Samantha argued that it was such a good opportunity, Dad, and as usual, she got her way. We also are familiar with that happening. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. She really did have her dad wrapped around her little finger. What parent doesn't want to, you know, your daughter's out there at 18 by herself in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but she's also an adult, so she can do what she wants. She can, but Mm -hmm. every every parent's still going to worry. You don't want your your 18-year-old daughter out there. Moral of the story, listen to your parents, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the person who was closing on the night of February 1st, February 1st, 2012, was unfortunately Samantha. Keys approached the coffee stand and ordered an Americano. That was his order of choice. I guess you're going to see that a few times. After Samantha made the coffee, she turned around to hand it over to Keys. This is when, when he brandished a handgun and demanded money. Samantha was trying to comply, but Keys forced himself into the coffee stand and proceeded to tie her hands up with zip ties, just like he had done with the couriers. He wanted to take Samantha's car, right? But when he said, Samantha, where's your car? She didn't have it with her. So she was there without a car that night. She had loaned her car to her boyfriend, unfortunately, so that he could drive to work. And she was planning on getting picked up by her cousin after closing. So Keys needed another plan. He forcibly walked her out of the coffee stand and towards Tudor Road, the main road there, where he was parked. By the way, this whole ordeal is was caught on a CCTV on security film online. You can see it online, and it's absolutely terrifying. She looks just so scared. Oh, I'm sure she was. It shows her making his coffee, and they're, like, you know, laughing, and, and then she's just, you just see her turn pale white, and she sees what's happening. Anyway, Samantha, as they were walking, um, Samantha did escape his grasp, and she attempted to run just like Lorraine did. But Keys caught up with her and tackled her to the ground, also just like Lorraine, right? He warned her that she shouldn't do anything to make him mad. Of course, we wouldn't want that, Israel. Nope. Because he had a gun with, I quote, quiet ammo. (laughs) Never heard of that, but... No, I haven't either. Whatever, buddy. She (laughs) agreed. She agreed to behave and not try to escape again. They proceeded... To walk between the IHOP and the Dairy Queen across the street where Keys had his white pickup truck parked. Keys put Samantha inside and drove away. He explained to her that this was just a kidnapping for ransom. He's not going to hurt her. She felt better. You know, I would feel better. Um, she knew that, you know, he just wanted money. Um, she knew her dad would do absolutely whatever it took to get it. But she did warn Keys that her family didn't have a lot. And he said, and this is a quote, well, your family's just going to have to find a way to get it if they don't want you, if they want you to live. I thought he wasn't going to kill her. I don't know. Keys then asked Samantha where her cell phone was, and she told him it was back at Common Grounds. Well, he needed that, right? So he drove back to the coffee stand. This is the most disorganized he's been, I think. He retrieved the phone and drove away again with Samantha. 
He used that cell phone to send two text messages from, from her phone. So from Samantha, these people got these texts. One text to her boyfriend and the other to the owner of Common Grounds. So Keyes was pretty calculated. He looked through her phone and he was able to see that that day her and her boyfriend had gotten into just like a little argument, just a tuffle, not a big deal. So he decided to send a text to her boyfriend saying, and I quote, F you, I know what you did, going to have friends for a while, tell dad. That's pretty smart. Yeah, I feel like that would backfire, right? Because if they were were just arguing over something silly, and then, like, say you and I were arguing over something silly, and you texted me that, I'd be like, What are you talking about? What the hell did I do? (laughs) Hold on, I'd be blowing your phone up. You know what I mean? So to me, I I think that he's lucky that didn't backfire because that would attract more attention to me. Yeah, I know. Than you just saying, Hey, you're just closing up, I'll text you later, or something like that. He's then asked Samantha for her debit card, and she told him that she shared a bank account with her boyfriend. And that ATM card was actually in the truck that he had back at Samantha's house. So they went back to Samantha's house. Keys actually drove to Samantha's house. And in a rather brazen move, he was digging around the unlocked truck. And Samantha's boyfriend actually came running out of her house, thinking that there was just a thief trying to rob the vehicle. He had no idea that Samantha had been abducted yet. No one does. No one knows. She's supposed to be at work. Unfortunately, her boyfriend ran back inside to call for help. And during that time, Israel fled with Samantha with debit card in hand. Hey, that poor dude's going to... Oh, he has to live with that. It's yeah. just... It's awful. After going to a nearby ATM machine just to test out the PIN number that Samantha gave him, he drove around for a long time because he knew that his girlfriend and daughter would be asleep. And he wanted to bring Samantha back to his house. Hmm. The cojones on this guy. <laughs> As one would do, right? <laughs> so he brought her back to his house. Well, his work shed right in the backyard. He's tied her up and then turned on the space heater because it's Alaska and it's cold. And it's February, right? So it's cold. And then he um, poured Samantha a glass of red wine and poured himself a bourbon. And they shared a drink together. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she thoroughly enjoyed that drink, too. I'm sure at this point she was hoping, like, you know, the couriers were, that she'd be able to uh, humanize herself. But that well, just... He did say he wasn't going to kill her. He was going to hold her for ransom. Yeah, she just... She's so terrified. maybe she's like, okay, this isn't as bad. He's not going to kill me. I know. I feel so bad for her. And she's 18, you know? He didn't plan on letting her live, of course. So what he did next is just so scary. <laughs> Keys turned up the stereo that he had in his shed as loud as possible to drown out Samantha's screams. He sexually assaulted her four hours before strangling her to death. And this next part, whoa. Keys then left her in the shed for two whole weeks while him, his girlfriend, and his daughter went on a cruise. <laughs> Guess you gotta go for a little escape, a little vacation after some hard work? Just left her in the shed. That doesn't surprise me because he left the other two in the building. Yeah. So after Keyes returned to Anchorage from his well-deserved vacation, he's been busy, he decided he's, you know, he still wants that ransom money. So he wrote a ransom note and demanded the money be placed in an account that was linked with Samantha's ATM card. Now, he had one thing left to do. He needed to provide a proof-of-life photo. Mm, That's going to be kind of difficult. So this is where things get really messed up, as if it's not messed up already, right? Uh, Keys returned to the shed where Samantha's body was. As you know, Alaska's cold, so Samantha's body was 
preserved. It was pretty well preserved, but it was frozen from being in the shed. Uh, Keys needed to defrost her. I mean, duh. So he went and got a hair dryer and thawed her out. Good lord. I know. It's just, he's something else. And we got a necrophiliac again. Two in a row. After having sex with her remains, he sewed Samantha's eyes open and used his girlfriend's makeup to make her appear alive. Oh. He said it was really hard to get her skin to look alive. The coloring was off. Well, yeah, she'd been dead for two weeks, so. Jesus, this guy is just so sick. He then braided her hair. That's something uh, he knew how to do, because I'm sure he was a good dad, right? The proof of life photo is actually available online, (laughs) if you want to look at it. Um, I'm not going to post that one. It's pretty hard to look at, because you know she's dead. It's scary. Yeah. Um, Then he made a photocopy of it, so it's in black and white. Makes it a little bit more believable believable but it's just beyond disturbing the ransom letter he used a typewriter to type that out and he demanded thirty thousand dollars in return for samantha's life so alaska police actually helped Corey koenig samantha's dad deposit the money into her account they were thinking that um well they were hoping that israel would use the uh atm card yeah so they could uh He'd withdraw some funds and trace his, they could trace his location. Solid plan. So because Israel sent the ransom note, he no longer needed to keep Samantha's body, right? He's done with it. So, <laughs> so he drilled a hole in a nearby frozen lake and dumped Samantha's remains. After he disposed of her, he thought, well, I'm here, so I may as well go ice fishing. As you do. Why not? He claimed later that the fishing trip was successful. He caught some fish. Since uh, that's what we were all very concerned with, Israel. Uh, Get this. That night, he cooked up his catch and fed the fish to his girlfriend and daughter for dinner. So, to clarify, he dumped Samantha's body in a hole he drilled in the frozen lake, caught some fish in that hole, and then fed the fish to his family. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of speechless on this guy, but that's... uh... He's disgusting. He's he's just... He blows my mind. It it, It blows my mind that two weeks, like... I think they would be looking for her at that point. And we're talking about 2011. They were. They were looking for her. What do you think you're talking about 2011, 2012? There's, they have, there's obviously footage. Yep, there's footage. But and you couldn't. You can't make out who he is. But it's all bundled up. There's also things like DNA in 2011. Mm-hmm. Where like if you touched anything or anything yeah. like that. Car tracks. I mean, there's yeah. tons of stuff you can do. To, this is not like we're talking about you know Earl from last week in 1920. Well, too, remember he parked in the dairy, between the Dairy Queen and the... The other restaurant, IHOP. Yeah, but then he drove back to the coffee then shop. He drove and then back. he drove to the house. Yeah, no, that's, that's what true. I'm saying. There's no cameras. Anywhere. Nobody could capture anything on this. Yeah, Law enforcement wise. I need to go back and see if they did uh, tire tracks or anything. I don't remember reading anything on that. Of course, I'm sure everybody in Anchorage has pretty much the same tires to go through snow. Yeah, I'm sure they do. You don't know how much snow was on the ground or if there's dirt roads or anything like that. It's just to yeah. me, it's 2011. It seems like law enforcement they could do something be... more. For two weeks, could it do a lot more than they were doing, or maybe they did and they just couldn't find anything. I don't yeah, know. probably so. So, um, Keys decided to travel to Texas in March of 2012. Tejas. So, the month after he killed Samantha. Why do I always got to come here? I know. Well, his mom lived here and okay. some of his siblings. So, he wanted to go and visit his mom and a few of his siblings. By the way, his father had died years earlier, but remember, they weren't close anymore. So, he's allowed to come and hang out with his mom now. <laughs> 
Uh, during the visit, one of Israel's sisters tries to get him to reconsider atheism and to give the Christian faith another chance. I say this because Israel, she reportedly said that he responded to her by saying, you don't know the depths of darkness that I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. <laughs> I would have been like, um... Mommy? 911? <laughs> I don't know if you would have called 911, but we definitely would have said something to like his mom or something like, hey, uh, this is a little weird. We haven't seen him in 10 years, and this is what he says to me. Freaking creep. Why is he so weird? Anywho, while he was being weird in Texas, he got cocky and used Samantha's ATM card. Bingo. I was thinking he wouldn't be, you know, before I read this, I'm like, he's not stupid enough to You're actually You're going to have that thing so watched, like, you can't even take the money out of there without I know. What, how would he, and he's so calculated, surely. He knows, don't use the debit card, but he did. And thankfully, he did. So, it was on March 13th, 2012, that Israel Keys was arrested by the Texas Highway Patrol in the Cotton Patch Cafe parking lot in Lufkin, Texas, for fraudulent use of a debit card. That's not too far from here. Nope. Cotton he, Patch, too. He was also officially a suspect in Samantha Koenig's disappearance. He was then sent back to Anchorage and held at Anchorage Correctional Complex. Israel starts talking there. But he's super weird, of course. <laughs> this dude? <laughs> Remember, he's only a suspect at this time in Samantha Koenig's disappearance, right? Not even... He's not, not even her murder. Yeah, it's not even her murder. Because everyone thinks she's alive. She don't, they don't know where she is. Especially thanks to his hair and makeup skills. <laughs> Authorities have no idea the crazy shit they're about to learn. Um, eventually, an Alaska court would release 15 hours of interview... Between investigators and keys. Yes, I've watched most of it. Of course you did. Of course. Uh, you can watch a condensed version of it on YouTube. Just type in, you know, Israel Keys interview and it'll pop up. You will 100% hate him as much as I do after about five minutes. He laughs at himself. He thinks he's the funniest person in the world. He's so smart, he thinks. I mean, he's just a cocky person. Well, a lot of these serial killers are narcissists. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so in the tapes, Keyes was really calm, and he was tight-lipped, and he made it abundantly clear from the start that he was in charge, and he was. I'll give him that. He was quoted as having said, There's not anything they can threaten me with, or say to me, or take away from me, or give me, except what I want. I'm happy to help, but on my terms. So what did he want? He wanted the death penalty, and as <laughs> quickly as possible. He didn't want to suffer. He wanted to just be gone, be done. Well, he had one huge reason for wanting to die. Didn't want his, his daughter. His daughter. Didn't want to see her and have him sitting in jail the entire time. Yep. He, that, other than his horrible crimes and being proud of them, he, that's another topic he talked about him all the time, was his daughter. He said, and I quote, I want an execution date. I want this whole thing over with as soon as possible. I'll give you every single gory detail you want, but I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. She's in a safe place now. She was with her mom, by the way. She's not going to see any of this. I want her to have a chance to grow up and not have this hanging over her head. But there's one problem, Israel. Alaska didn't have the death penalty, and they've never had the death penalty. It's not a death penalty state. So in order for Keyes to be put to death, he's going to have to ultimately commit murder in another state that has a death penalty, right? Uh, yeah. And he was about to blow. Investigators had no idea he was about to blow their minds with the amount of murders he would either confess to or allude to in the upcoming hours firstly 
he confessed to the murder of Samantha Koenig. So he let them know that Samantha was in fact dead. Her family, of course, had been duped to learn that she had been murdered and the whole proof of life picture was a hoax. Can you imagine That's horrible. finding out that she had been dead? And oh, makes me sick. Keyes would then begin to confess little by little, giving investigators little tidbits of information in exchange for Snickers bars, bagels, Americanos, and cigars. Okay. He loved those. And they wanted to keep him talking, right? Oh, yeah, they wanted to. This dude's talking about all this stuff. They're going to mm-hmm. keep him talking. They're going to keep him talking. He was very clear that the investigators had to control the media frenzy in return for his confessions so that his family, especially his daughter, would be spared as much as possible. But Keyes was about to provide investigators with a timeline, so to speak, of crimes they didn't see coming. Crimes and murders that spanned multi-states. So here is a timeline of his known crimes as of today. And I can't go into too much detail because he didn't go into too much detail. I want you to remember that the only evidence of any crime that we have against Israel is just his confession. Except for... Except for Samantha Koenig. Yeah. But you know there's no DNA on her or anything. Well, there's nothing left of her. She's it's crazy. Lake. She's probably eating my fish and stuff. Okay, so here's a timeline. Remember... Uh, this interview is occurring in 2012. So we're going to go all the way back to 1997. He was 19 then. Investigators assume this was when he was living in Oregon. Uh, Keyes claimed that late in the evening, he abducted a teen girl. Uh, he didn't know how old she was, between 14 and 18. Remember, he doesn't kill kids. And I was like, well, that's a kid. But he was, he was a kid, too. Yeah, he was the same age. Yeah. So he really did. He stuck to his little moral, weird moral code. She was tubing on the river with her friends. He sexually assaulted her and then sent her on her way. He didn't kill her, but she never filed a report. But Keyes later claimed that he didn't kill her because he was weak back then, and he vowed to never let this weakness take him over again. Remember that Keyes lived in uh, Mia Bay, Washington in 2001 with his then-girlfriend after he was discharged from the Army? Uh, He alluded to committing his first homicide during this time. Why do you think he did that? What kind of question is that? Why do you think he decided to kill someone now when he never has before? He's been killing people. No, he hadn't been killed. He hadn't killed anyone at this point in 2001. No, he hadn't at this point, but I, we've already talked about a bunch of people he's killed, so there's no reasoning behind this dude's killing. He was quoted to say he, uh, this was his first murder. I killed because there was not much to do there back then. I was bored. <laughs> That's a more viable reason than I've heard for... A lot of these dudes. Jesus. Okay. Uh, names, of course, were never given to investigators uh, by Keyes. He stated that he wanted to keep many of the names to this sick, many of the names to himself, so that his crimes could belong to him. Because if he gave the names away, then it would be everybody's crime. Just disgusting. So Keyes officially had his first murder under his belt. Tammy, his ex-girlfriend and baby mama, she later said that there was, in fact, a neighbor that went missing during the time they lived in Nia Bay. And she, in fact, could not provide an alibi for Israel at the time, but no one thought to... Yeah, no one thought anything yeah, was Yeah, and he was, he was, they, nobody thought he died. He just was missing. The neighbor's name hasn't been made public as of now, which is odd to me because you'd think that they'd know who went missing at least. So, um, Keyes is very ev- evasive with investigators, as you can tell. He's toying with them and kind of wetting their whistle without ever really giving them much. <laughs> Um, He gives them just enough, right? 
He did claim, however, that his next crime was between the years of 2001 and 2005. He said that he killed a couple who he refuses to name, of course. Um, it's unknown if the victims were Washington residents at that time or if they were just tourists or if he abducted them from a nearby state and then brought them back to Washington. He did, however, hint that the bodies of these victims were buried near a valley. He wouldn't give the name of the valley. Yeah, there's not too many valleys in Washington. But, I mean, why? I mean, I believe him. <laughs> why wouldn't we? Uh, he's next confessed to two more unrelated murders in 2005. As we know, it's not much. Um, he said he disposed of the bodies in Crescent, Crescent Lake, Washington, uh, using his boat. He had a boat. He confessed to tying anchors to the bodies to help them sink. Of course, the identities are unknown. In April of 2009, he's admitted to abducting a female from another state on the East Coast and transporting her body across multiple state lines before finally burying her in upstate New York. The same month, in 2009, Keyes actually did something a little out of character, and he would do this a few times. He robbed a bank. Oh, I need the money. He didn't need the money. He was pretty well off, because remember, he owned his own business at this time. That was very successful. He just loved the thrill. Oh, okay. He's, he's insane. The, sur the surveillance photo is online, and he looks absolutely ridiculous. He has a fake mustache and a fake like go like goatee well maybe he does need the money though if you think about it he doesn't want to use his money to buy his kill kits and, oh, that's stuff true. and travel all over the country yeah he's he using, can hide it if he robs a bank or something like that and gets enough money he can hide the money or use that money to kind of cover his tracks um the bank that he robbed was in tupper lake new york and when you look at the because they have their surveillance um video online of that bank robbery and you can tell it's keys he's not wearing a mask he's just wearing a fake goatee a very cheap fake goatee you can tell it's keys but nobody knows him he's in new york you know remember he lived in alaska he really had the perfect plan live in alaska fly down to the lower 48 you could do whatever you want no one's gonna suspect some dude from alaska you no, know not at all uh so after robbing the bank he stated that he parked at a campground nearby and just sat there and waited for emergency vehicles to pass cocky cocky bastard <laughs> Also, he's very proud of himself in the interview footage. He's confessing all of these crimes and laughing like he's the world's most interesting man. He just thinks he's... He probably got a kick out of it because they never knew about half of these crimes. No. And he never got caught for any of them. So he's mm -hmm. like, this is how much smarter I am than you guys. Yep. But, and he keeps promising. So he's given investigators all of this. And then he says, don't worry, I'll give you names tomorrow or whatever. You know, he's just keeping them hanging by thread. Um, so between April and May of uh, 2011, Keyes had a failed murder plan. He intended to shoot a couple sitting in their car near Anchorage, Alaska. His plans were foiled when a police officer pulled into the parking lot. Keyes said that he even toyed with the idea of shooting the officer, but he chose not to. Hmm. They were lucky. June of 2011 uh, were the Courier murders. The weapons that he used in these murders, they were later discovered by the FBI. One of the guns was disposed of right near their home, and the gun he used to shoot Bill was later found in Blake Falls Reservoir. I'm not sure which state that's in. I'm assuming Vermont. Vermont, I would have to guess, yeah. And finally, in February of 2012, was the murder of Samantha Koenig, and that was his last hurrah that we know of. Although, What's on his like? way to Texas to visit, visit his mom, he could have... What's that, like 11 murders? Uh, eight total confessed to, 
And they, but he's thought to have killed upwards of 11 people or more. My thoughts on the interview. Um, so Keyes took pride in being two different people. He kept saying time and time again that during this interview, everyone in his life isn't going to believe that he's capable of these crimes. And he was absolutely right. The only person that believed him to be guilty was Tammy, his ex-girlfriend. She loved him up until, I mean, even still. But they had a decent relationship. He never hurt her. Uh, he was a great dad. Yeah, but she might have seen something in him that... But she believed, yeah, that he was capable. Yeah. She wasn't at ever scared of him. Of it, yeah. yeah, at least capable of it. Perhaps the most interesting part of this to me is Israel was a serial killer enthusiast. He had I'm books like... and books and DVDs and all sorts of things. I'm like, well, same. Well, he's probably studying. <laughs> Perfecting his craft, I guess. He probably would have loved our podcast. That scares me. I'm just kidding. He's not allowed to listen. Okay, his favorite serial killer of all time was none other than H.H. H. Holmes. He thought that it was super cool that he had a murder castle. It's <laughs> very creepy and disturbing, but it is also very one of those most one of those interesting serial killers because of the lengths he went to. I mean, he just do designed a hotel with secret doors and gas chambers and his own incinerator to get rid of bodies. Like, yeah, Israel, it's pretty you crazy. That cool. it's, it's, this dude was, you know, H.H. H. Holmes was pretty intense. Yep. He also admired Ted Bundy and how calculated he was. He even had a least favorite serial killer, BTK, which I kind of agree with. I hate BTK. We'll have to do um, an episode on BTK, the Vine Torture Kill Killer. He said that BTK was, quote, a pussy for apologizing for his murders. <laughs> Yeah, he's a narcissist. He wants to take credit for all that crap. He's, yeah, he's he, he's not, I mean, he's obviously deranged, but he's proud of what he's doing. Very proud. He, he, much like Ted Bundy. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he actually aligns a lot with Ted Bundy. Uh, he he models himself. He sounds just like he him. He really does. Also, he had kill kits buried in every state where he committed these crimes, and that shows an amount of impulse control and calculation. Like, I rarely, the only time I've ever seen that was with, Ted Bundy. But also, like Bundy, they got super cocky towards the end, which is what got them arrested. Well, yeah, you've been doing this for a decade. Mm -hmm. Never been caught. No one even has any idea what you're doing. You're just like, dude, I'm untouchable at this point. I know. Until you're not. Okay, so we are far from done blowing your mind. <laughs> Police and investigators needed keys. I mean, he holds the key. They need him to, to find bodies yep. and names and everything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. And by this time, people all over the country were writing in. Detectives were like, oh. We got missing people. We got missing people, yeah. That fit these timelines that you're talking about. And the FBI was involved, of course. Well, and, yeah, once you cross state lines, yeah. the FBI is coming. And then you talk about a guy that's confessing to 20 murders across, or 10 right. murders across the country. The FBI is definitely going to get involved. They needed him to sing, <laughs> definitely, so that they could solve all these cases across the country. They even felt like... There are many more that he hadn't yet confessed to, but he was just on the verge. He kept them just on the verge. You got to think like you got all these these guys. This guy's confessing to you know eight murders that they know of across the country over a ten year span. Mm -hmm. How many police agencies are probably calling in and saying, "Hey, we've had you know X amount of disappearances in those times." Yeah. So that they haven't solved. So you probably got hundreds of disappearances that these people are trying to like see if this crazy bastard killed them or not. Absolutely. So, um, they had a lot left to do with Keith. But 
On December 2, 2012, 6.13 a.m., Israel Keyes was found dead in his cell. He had just, the day before, been lifted off a suicide watch. Somehow, he had gotten a hold of a small razor blade, attached it to a pencil for leverage, and slit his left wrist. He was found by a guard face down on his stomach. I want to also say that he was calculated even in his suicide, uh, even in how he did it, and trigger warning, I'm just, because, you know, he's not missed. But he slit his wrist, but he didn't trust himself not to stop the bleeding. So he tied a bed sheet around his neck. He laid on his stomach, tied a bed sheet around his neck in like a noose, and then tied, lifted his heels up to his buttocks, and then tied the other end to his ankles tight. So then as his body relaxed from bleeding, he could ensure strangulation. He's just something else. He's a coward. He, he's a coward, but he's something else. He thinks about everything, even though it's all, you know, for narcissistic, selfish reasons. Uh, so Keyes went to the grave, um, taking all of his unnamed victims with him, just as he had wanted. And as he had said, if I give you their names, they no longer belong to me. Right now, they're mine. It's gross. It was a final selfish act. In his cell, a suicide note was found, and it's really dumb and pointless. Like, I can't believe that those were the last words he chose to <laughs> give us. Um, it just makes you roll your eyes when you read it. We will post it on our Instagram page for you all to enjoy. Uh, he thinks that he's way cooler than he is. ABC News said about the suicide letter, it was a creepy ode to murder. And it's exactly what it was. Couldn't have said it better. Here's one of his nauseating quotes from this letter, and it's going to make you gag. You may have been free. You loved living your lie. Fate has its own scheme. Crushed like a bug, you still die. Is that a haiku? I think it's a haiku. I don't, it's ridiculous <laughs> is what it is. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You think that's going to be a quote you get tattooed on your rib cage so you look good in your bikini this summer? <laughs> I look good in my bikini anyway. What are yes, you talking you do, about? Baby. What are you talking about here? <laughs> and no, I'm not getting that ridiculousness no, tattooed No, absolutely on me. not. <laughs> okay, so like I said, it's thought that uh, Keyes murdered upwards of 11 people. Although he officially confessed to eight. He had absolutely zero remorse for any of them. And it was beyond apparent that he enjoyed what he did. Investigator Jolene Godin, I think is how you say her last name. By the way, she's badass. She was the only female investigator in there for all 15 hours of the interview, and she held her own with him. Um, she remarked after his death that Israel loved what he did. He had no remorse at all. He even told them that he wanted to keep killing well into old age. He is simply the scariest kind of monster out there, in my opinion. You know, he's a guy that doesn't look or act strange and scary, even though he's a smug douche wagon. <laughs> uh, he owned a successful business, and he was thought to be a good dad. But then the other side of him was the worst kind of monster imaginable. And that's, that's to me, is what's so fascinating about these guys. They're literally a two-sided coin, or even a two, yeah, so, two separate coins. So many of them are you know, regarded as this pillar of society, this great person in town that owns a coffee shop or a construction company. Mm -hmm. They do all these things, they're PTA, they Boy Scouts, and then it turns out like, oh, they've been raping and murdering for 25 years. Cool. Yeah. So that's like the duality is just insane. Um, it's said that 
to after he died, his mother finally had to accept that he was guilty because, you know, she believed his innocence. But her um, spiritual advisor, he was the one that, you know, kind of directed his funeral. And it was said that this, this I guess, a pastor was not wanting to celebrate his life, but wanted to pray for his soul that was surely burning in hell. Hmm. I'm like, which, I mean, agreed, but as a mom, be like, can we just not? <laughs> I mean, I know my kids, uh, anyways, <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Let it go, guys. <laughs> so that, my friends, is Israel Keys. He's a lesser known serial killer. And that was, that was tough. I think he's lesser known. You know, in my opinion, he might be a little lesser known because it's so much more recent. Yeah. Right? And a, a lot of these, I hate to say it, but a lot of these uh, kind of killings and stuff are much more prevalent these days than when Ted Bundy was doing it or BTK was doing it mm-hmm. or, you know, any of those guys. You're talking about 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It, was, it wasn't as prevalent as now. Like, yeah. You can't pick up a TV show where there's not a serial killer in it. You Absolutely. turn on the news and somebody's getting missing, murder, rape, something somewhere. I also think that the investigators, although he's a piece of crap, they did a good job of protecting his daughter and just letting... Because she was, what, eight or nine, I think, at the time. Well, yeah, you, what do you want to do? You want to ruin a kid's life for the yeah. rest of her life because her dad was a monster? They were, I mean, in all states, when they you know, were excavating areas and doing dives in lakes, they, they kept it on the DL pretty well and i think that was out of respect for her which i can't disagree with but it's you know it's out of respect for her but at the same time it's you know it's they're doing it for themselves too right because you got 11 8 11 people that you don't even know who they are yeah that's going to spark some huge controversy and then you're going to be looked at under a microscope as law enforcement like how do you not know who these people are and this dude was telling you about it how did you not get the information and then he died in his cell Mm -hmm. like so yeah they might have wanted to protect the daughter but they were protecting themselves, too, because they didn't want to look like they had some kind of blunders or failures or just yeah. opened up a can of worms that would be a national media circus, because it would have been. It would have. Oh, my gosh. It would have been. You're talking about a serial killer across state lines that is rare. Yeah. Usually, it's, you know, usually, you know these things. Usually, they kill in, like, their area or mm-hmm. maybe a state next to them. It's rare that you get a guy like him or Bundy that All literally travels the country mm-hmm. killing people. Yep. It was a perfect setup. That, I mean, you remember the outrage and the, the media explosion with Bundy. Yeah. The whole world was like, what? Absolutely. He even escaped the courthouse. I know, I remember. <laughs> it's crazy. These guys are crazy. What I, I didn't add in here, because there's so much, I could go on about Israel and his antics for 24 hours, but when um, he was he was put in front of a judge, he, he never made it to trial, of course, but when he was put in front of a judge to talk about the charges, um, Israel tried to escape in the courthouse like Bundy. Of course and, he did, because he's he modeling tased. his life. He's modeling himself after Bundy. It's it's insane. So that that just occurred to me right now. Bundy did the same thing. He's literally. He said his favorite one of his favorite killers was Bundy. He studied serial killers. He's literally modeling a lot of what he does after Bundy. So he was tased, and then the next time he appeared in front of the judge, he had to be in the full shackles, and they even talked about putting a muzzle over, <laughs> like Hannibal Lecter. Dude's a psycho. Yeah, he absolutely is. Um. That was tough. But on a happier note, I am so pumped for the next episode. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but I think it's going to be a good one. And after this upcoming case, I think I'm going to do a lighter one. Not that murders are happy, but something a little bit lighter. Because these big serial killers that are just so depraved. I mean, you're grabbing these necrophiliac serial killers. I know, and I did not mean that. (laughs) It was just next in the lineup. I didn't think, 
Oh wow, I have two necrophiliacs. So I don't know how much darker you could get, so I think lighter might be okay. Yeah, we need a lighter one. Um, So keep an eye out for that. Thanks to Pat, our IG is up and running. So interact with us there and let us know there on Instagram if there's any particular cases you would like us to cover. I really want to hear you guys' recommendations and I'll, I'll cover them. Uh, our username on Instagram is at Evil Pudding Podcast. Super easy. Just look it up on, just search for Evil Pudding Podcast. Yep. You'll, you'll see the logo. You'll see Courtney's going to load up photos from, I think, from this episode. Yeah, we are. So um, until next time, guys, be sure to love each other, be kind to each other, and meet us back here soon. Bye. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. <laughs>